Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today we are joined by Jenna, an advocate of self-love and fitness for all body types. Jenna also writes her own blog, which aims to provide lessons in food, fitness and self-love, whereby she shares her own experience to help other people navigate our diet-obsessed society. Jenna joins us today to discuss her own journey of self-acceptance, especially focusing on fat phobia and the impact it has on society. Hello, Jenna. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. The sun is shining and it's a beautiful day, the first one in a long time. It's actually really nice today here too as well. So the fact that you're in Canada, that's really incredible. We're both having nice days. Oh, it's so nice when that happens though. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I wanted to ask you to talk about today was fat phobia. Would you mind explaining what the difference is between fat phobia and fat shaming? Yeah, certainly. So the way I look at it is fat phobia is almost like the system of oppression that people who live in fat bodies or people who live in larger bodies experience versus fat shaming is the it's the comments or the, you know, anything like that that's directed towards people living not only in fat bodies, but people just existing. So for me, fat phobia would be the oppression, the stigma, or even sometimes violence aimed at those who exist in fat bodies. And then fat shaming would be more, it's like comments on social media that you'll typically see that are telling someone who lives in a bigger body, maybe you shouldn't eat that, maybe you shouldn't eat so much, or maybe you deserve something like this because of your size. Yeah, if I'm, <laughs> I think that's the, the difference for me. Yeah, I think you described that perfectly. And I suppose my question would be, where do you think that's come from? Because if you had somebody in a thin body, you wouldn't say to them, you don't deserve that. So why do you think that we do that to people in fat bodies? I think it's this idea that people have where we recognize various systems of oppression, like we can look at uh, white supremacist systems or sexist systems, and there's a lot of advocacy and a lot of people talking about it, but a lot of people don't look at weight stigma as a system Mm. of oppression, although it's a major one. Like at the doctor's office, you might not be taken seriously. You might not be able to fit into a plane seat. Mm. You might not be able to, you know, have a regular conversation with someone about food because it's just, it's something that people as a society have normalized beyond belief and to the point where they think, well, it's okay if I'm oppressing this person because I'm doing them a favor. I'm concerned (laughs) about their health when the reality is we know you're not concerned about someone's health because you Mm. can't determine someone's health based off the way they look. 
Yeah, completely. And I think it's interesting the amount of research that's coming out to show that you can't determine anything by the size of somebody. But also, I don't understand why people think it's any of their business. Like, it's not their body. So why do they think they can make those comments? Yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous the way people sometimes want to jump in and, and just speak on something. I think a huge part of it's also insecurity. It's a fear yeah. that if I don't state my stance against this, then maybe I'll be affiliated with it somehow, or maybe that'll somehow become me. Yeah, I think that's so right. And you've kind of linked on to the next point that I wanted to discuss with you in that I think often people make those comments without realizing the negative effects of them and actually think they're helping people. So could you just explain to us about what internalized fat phobia is? Yeah, I think internalized fat phobia for me it happens in in two different ways first of all we all internalize it just because we live in a fat phobic society Mm -hmm. that's just the way it is but there is a difference between when someone who lives in a thin body has internalized it versus when someone who lives in a fat body has internalized it someone in a thin body it's just those typical weight stigmatizing comments that are made on tv shows just you know in passing everything like oh i feel fat today or things like Mm -hmm. that it's just, it's become so normal to people to say that. When someone lives in a fat body, um, internalizing fat phobia is when you begin to accept the language or the message of your oppressors and think, okay, well, because I live in a fat body, because I live in a larger body, I don't deserve to be treated as well as everyone else. I deserve to be made into a laughing stock or treated as less than simply because you've heard this same messaging over and over and over about yourself you start to believe it it's I mean it's human nature that we believe the messaging that we hear okay and I guess a question to you if someone's in a situation where someone uses language that they kind of feel is not correct um, or maybe offensive to somebody I think sometimes people can become a bit confrontational if you say to them I don't really appreciate that language so what sort of advice would you give to somebody if they're in that situation That's definitely a hard one. And I've certainly been in that situation before because it's almost some, there's some groups of people that you just don't feel comfortable saying certain things because you know how they're going to react. For me, I think it's best to not come from a place of judgment and make it clear. I'm not judging you, but be like, oh, hey, I actually, I heard that that's not appropriate to say anymore. So I try not to say it. Or, oh, have you considered how saying, I feel fat today could be insulting to someone who actually is fat and fat isn't necessarily, it's not at all. It's not a bad word. It's just a descriptor. So how could you possibly feel fat? I think there are uncomfortable conversations to have and the hard reality of most like allyship or anything like that, when you want to stand up for a marginalized group is it's never going to be comfortable to say it. But if you, as someone living in a thin body, feel uncomfortable saying it, imagine how awkward it is for someone who lives in a fat body. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, sometimes I just say, you know, get uncomfortable and you have to be uncomfortable. Um, And if a person is someone who's your friend or your family member I think they're going to understand, hopefully, you're coming from a good place. And if they don't, then all you can do is tell them you're trying to come from a good place and hope for the best. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Like a lot of the time when people are struggling, they will say, I feel fat. And we know that you can't feel fat. It's not a feeling, like you said, it's it's just a descriptive word. So I suppose it's relearning that language that you're using about yourself because 
if you're feeling bad about yourself and you say I feel fat then that means that you're saying that being fat is bad it's that connotation that then can affect other people yeah and I think it's also there's no shame in having to relearn the language you're using Mm. at the same time and there's no shame in being called out or maybe not even saying called out but called in Mm -hmm. Um, if someone tells you don't say that all you have to do is accept okay that was wrong I've said it before and moving forward I'll change it yeah I'm really glad that you highlighted that because I think often when people have discussions whatever subject it's about um it can sometimes be difficult to have those conversations when you're told that the language that you're using is wrong or maybe your point of view can could be upsetting to somebody but if it is something like that I think the importance is taking something away from it and maybe changing that language that you're using I think it's when people go away from conversations and don't then change despite the person in question saying that that makes me feel uncomfortable I think that's when there's an issue exactly so you briefly mentioned before um that if somebody does present in a larger body that they maybe don't get the health care that they're required because of that do you think there's anything else that is affected for somebody that is in a larger body and also what impact do you think that has on their life yeah I think a huge thing is if you're a person living in a larger body and you go to the doctors for any type of ailment anything going on the first thing they're going to tell you is lose weight Mm. Um, no matter what the issue is it's always going to come down to oh if you lose weight you'll probably feel better and it's almost as if they're not willing to treat you until you've lost the weight and if the issue still remains once you've lost weight then sure we'll look at something else And I think something I've seen is a lot of examples of women going in with serious, serious health concerns and doctors saying, if you just lost weight, this would go away. And even providing like medications to help people lose weight, things like that, where it's, this is incredibly dangerous and this isn't what someone needs. But even when even our medical system is so fat phobic and focused on weight as an indicator of health rather than what else could be going on? It's it's really a scary thing to imagine. And not only being like being a woman, you have to go into any doctor's office advocating for yourself. Yeah. Being a person of color, you have to go into any doctor's office advocating for yourself. Being a fat person, you have to go in, man or woman, you're advocating for yourself hard mm-hmm. because no one wants to actually treat you. And it, it's not necessarily done with an outright malicious intent. It's just the way that people in fat bodies are looked at, unfortunately, by society as a whole. Mm. And I know this isn't the case for everybody, but I think with Eating Disorder Awareness Week being about binge eating disorder, something that was really highlighted was that so many people will present to their doctor with binge eating disorder. But because of the lack of understanding and because of this fat phobia, weight stigma, they automatically think you need help losing weight. And so somebody will go to the doctor with binge eating disorder, and then they'll be put on a restrictive diet at a weight loss clinic, which just isn't helpful. And it's the same, you know, if somebody presented to the doctor in a larger body, and they had another issue, could they then potentially have months and months and months of being supported losing weight when they actually should be gaining different treatment and then that whatever disease they're struggling with is just going to be worsened because they weren't taken seriously at the start when they said it's not my weight that's an issue it's a different illness that does need help 
And it's so, I think it's really shocking for people who Mm -hmm. live in like thinner bodies to hear about it. But yeah, the binge eating disorder one is a great example because the majority of people who have eating disorders are not seriously underweight. It's not necessarily obvious that they have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. But if you go into the doctors to seek treatment for any type of eating disorder and you are living in a fat body, you're exactly right. They're going to send you to a weight loss clinic. They're not going to take you seriously. For them, it's, oh, well, whatever it takes to get you thin. You know, it's it's just, it's horrifying. Mm. And I think that's something that's become a massive problem in our society is that we're so ingrained in that we need to work towards getting a thin body. We sort of lost that enjoyment from exercise. Um, and I think that's something I love from your Instagram page because you can tell that you absolutely love working out, you love going to the gym, but none of it is about aesthetics. It's about having that enjoyable movement that we all need. So how did you go from a place of aesthetics and then move into finding that enjoyable movement? I think it took a very long time to get to that place, but it essentially started with, I mean, I started going to the gym years ago and I was miserable every time I went. I was so anxious. I was just, no matter how small I got, I was still like, everybody here knows I don't belong. I'm a beginner. I, it was two years in, I was still saying, I'm a beginner. I don't fit in. Um, And then it came to a point where I just had to stop going to the gym. Like I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I gave up on it and I'm like, this clearly isn't what I'm meant to do. I hate exercising so much. And then I think once you stop, sometimes you might get that feeling like, oh, I should work out today. Like it might just come to you one day. That's what happened for me at least. Um, And I kind of started out by saying, you know, maybe I'll just go for a walk. Like instead of going to the gym, it's clearly not working for me. I'll go for a walk. And then it slowly just kind of built up from there. I started to feel the desire to work out. um, And I recognized that before, while I was miserable working out, when I started just going for walks or following a video on YouTube that I was like, oh, this seems kind of fun. Mm -hmm. I actually, I didn't feel badly about myself, which was a, a real first. Um, so I would say the main way to start enjoying exercise for what it is rather than for aesthetics would be to just stop doing things that don't serve you. Mm -hmm. If you hate running, don't go for a run. (laughs) You don't have to run. People make it seem like you have to lift weights. You have to go running. You have to burn this number of calories. Mm -hmm. You absolutely don't. The most useful form of movement is whatever you enjoy. I always say, try thinking back to something that you did when you were a child. When you were younger, you could go biking with your friends for hours, or I could at least. You could play outside (laughs) with your friends for hours. Like, try to find something like that. Like, if if a two-hour long leisurely bike ride on a sunny afternoon is your idea of fun, then do that. Why shouldn't that count as movement? Why can't gardening count as movement? Yeah. So I think that's just my long-winded way of saying (laughs) (laughs) do what you enjoy when we lose, you know, forget the idea that you have to do this Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, that you have to earn food or that you have to track it on your fitness watch. Just do something fun. It still counts. (laughs) Yeah. And this might sound like a really stupid question, but I guess my question to you would be how do you actually know when you're enjoying it? You know, I think sometimes you can feel like you're enjoying the fact that you're meeting societal standards rather than actually enjoying the movement that you're doing. So how do you define the difference between that? 
So many people have actually asked me this question. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's stupid at all. I think a really good indicator for me when I started going back to the gym, for example, was did I dread going to the gym or Mm -hmm. was I actually looking forward to going to the gym? Um, Did I feel uh, really anxious when I was at the gym, just really awful about myself, like I didn't want to keep going, but I just kept pushing? Or was I excited to keep going? Was I excited to do, you know, add more weight, add more reps? And that makes all the difference. Even now, sometimes I'll be at the gym and I'm like, I don't want to do this. So Mm -hmm. I'll just leave. You know, it's just there's no use in forcing it. And sometimes I'm there. I'm so excited. Like, oh, this is going to be amazing. I mean, the reality of the world is we're not always going to feel like doing something. Yeah. If you rely 100% on motivation to get you through Mm -hmm. life, then, you know, I mean, I have more days unmotivated than not. There's no way I can say I'm motivated every day, but it's, I think it's kind of, you know, yourself best gauging, is this actually making me miserable or is this making me a better person? I don't know. Yeah, thank you so much for highlighting there that not every day you feel like, oh my God, I can't wait to go to the gym. I think nobody if they were truly honest with themselves loves going and working out every single day but I suppose it's though it's those days where maybe you get out of bed and you go into the gym and you feel a bit sluggish maybe you're lacking your mojo it's those days that are the more difficult ones to navigate of am I actually saying I'm too tired I need a rest or I just need to get to the gym and I'll have a good session and it will make me feel really good. I think they're the days that are difficult to determine whether it's that compulsion or if it's a genuine, I just need this to to let off some steam and the gym is actually what I do need today. And I think it's a matter of also becoming more in tune with yourself, recognizing Mm. the difference between those days. Yeah. And it comes. Would you say maybe that, you know, we talk a lot about intuitive eating. Would you say that you've moved to a kind of place of intuitive movement? Yeah, I guess so. I think so. I think if you spend enough time, like allowing yourself to just choose what feels best for you and what works best for you, it does become intuitive. And I think something, a really great lesson to take away from intuitive eating to apply to movement is your body does give you signs when you need something. So Mm -hmm. if maybe if you have that feeling like I want to exercise or like, I feel like I need to move, I need to do something, just why not do it? Yeah. You know, clearly your body wants it, so do it. If your body says, like, if you're exhausted and your body is telling you, I'm exhausted, like you're aching, you're sleepy, all those things, it's a clear sign your body is telling you, don't do this. (laughs) So I think, yeah. I think it's the same yeah absolutely just put the brakes on for a little bit we we need a nap right now not, not right exactly yeah and one blog that you wrote that really inspired me was talking about being enough and I think anecdotally you know for me I used to do powerlifting and it was like okay I want to have a 100 kilo deadlift but then by the time I got to that 100 kilo deadlift I'd already moved the benchmark to a 120 deadlift and I never really took the time to kind of reflect on where I'd come from what I'd achieved and it's the same I think with people's aesthetics you know it's like oh I want a bigger bum and you get that bigger bum but because you know you're kind of with yourself all the time aren't you so you don't recognize that you have maybe gained a bigger bum or what have you I guess my question is how do you sort of recognize that you are enough and not let those sorts of goals take over you and that you do recognize the accomplishments that you've made 
I think it was really hard for me to do, but an important thing was writing down the things that I was hoping to accomplish, like writing down goals, writing down whatever, and then actually constantly coming back to that week by week. So something I love to do is set weekly goals. And I know this isn't for everyone, but I like to write weekly goals in a journal. It might be something as small as I'm going to drink three liters of water today. I'm going to journal every day and I'm going to get eight hours of sleep every day. And then I'll just keep track of it throughout the week. And at the end of the week, I'm going to read that over and I'm going to feel some pride or I'm going to celebrate myself if I've actually done those things or if I've put in the effort to do it. It's not every day is going to be 100%. But I do truly believe the whole difference in actually recognizing how far you've come and celebrating the little wins is actually knowing what they are. Don't just forget about them. It's so easy to, yeah, you might have a goal of one thing in the gym. And by the time you reach that goal, you're already thinking about the next goal. Mm. But if you have something to physically look back at, I think that does make a huge, huge difference, which is what I love seeing on Instagram when people post like weekly goals or they're like, oh, this week I did whatever. I'm so proud of myself. That's exactly what we should be doing. Some people might see it as silly or shallow, but no, we deserve to celebrate all these little things in life. Otherwise, when will we ever truly be happy? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's such a cliche to say, but life is so much more about the journey than the destination. Absolutely. And those little wins along the way make you feel good about yourself and make you feel so powerful. So, Yeah, and I think something else I always try and consider is You've got those goals and that's fantastic, but don't let them define you. Like if you've got a certain point in time that you want to get to them and you don't do that, it doesn't make you any less of a person. It might just be the wrong time. You know, you're not quite there yet, but don't let those goals, you know, you don't have to have that goal necessary to be a good version of yourself. Like if you're progressing, even if it's not something big, like you are still doing the best you can to reach it. And it might just need a bit more time than you originally thought. I think that's so true and it's something with social media especially is we look at other people and we start to think well why am I not like that without realizing that I think every single one of us has that feeling and honestly there are probably people who look at you and say the same thing right and it's just a matter of sometimes taking a moment to stop and appreciate where you're at in life Um, and thinking about all the times that you wished and hoped for what you have now Mm -hmm. and how are you going to be grateful for that how are you gonna you know put out some good energy into the universe for what you've already received and what you'll keep on receiving so recognizing that like yes I might have goals for the future but I'm doing really well right now or mm. I'm I'm doing what I can right now and that's incredible. Mm. I think that's super important. That's actually just reminded me of, I saw on Instagram the other day, you posted like one year of having my Instagram page. And I remember when I first like set up the Full of Beans Instagram page and I remember following you and thinking like, wow, this girl's amazing. Like, you know, she, she speaks so openly about things and everything. And I think it was just really refreshing for you to say, you know, I've had this page for a year and this is where the, this is the progression I've made. And I think so often we can get stuck in this rut of, oh God, you know, I wish I was that person. I wish I was as open as them I wish I did this I wish I did that but it was just so nice to see that you have progressed as well and you know when at the same point that you are now and 
it's just really refreshing to see that everybody's progressing nobody's nobody's where they want to be we're all working towards it but also it's I don't know just really nice to know that we're all not the person who we want to be but we're going there and you can look at somebody and think oh you know they're amazing what have you but they equally will have somebody else that they'll be looking up to and thinking oh you know I'm gonna try and be more like a better person like they are that's so sweet thank you (laughs) (laughs) that's so sweet yeah social media is like a bit of a highlight reel. You know, Mm -hmm. you look at everyone's best moments. You don't necessarily look at the reality of their life all the time. Um, And it's hard to be open and vulnerable Mm -hmm. on social media for sure. You don't necessarily want everyone to know like, you know, the mundane parts of your life or like the horrible, I don't want to say horrible, but (laughs) you know (laughs) what I mean? The bad things that happen. Um, But I think... On the other hand, I love Instagram because so many people actually are starting to share their true life and their journey and all of these incredible things. And reading that from other people inspires me so much. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, it's not even like I want to be like them or compare myself to them. But like, look what they've done. If they can Mm -hmm. do it, I can do it. You can do it. We all can. So I think Instagram has been a really beautiful place for me and for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I know it can be negative at times for sure, but yeah, I think it really depends who you follow, who you interact yeah. with. It can be a really awesome thing. Yeah, and it's funny because I think a lot of people are talking about like doing Instagram cleanses and stuff at the moment of only following people that make you feel good. And I always think like, oh God, if I unfollow them, are they going to be offended? But you know, unless they've got a follower tracker, they're literally not going to know. And at the end of the day, be selfish and unfollow them if it's not making you feel good. But equally, I think Instagram is such a good place for things, you know, like fat positivity, body positivity. It's allowed people to be really open and honest and to form that community of feeling really good about your body, no matter what it looks like, which I think in that sense, social media is really good. It's awesome. I think it's definitely helped to share a message that a lot of people believed already or wanted to believe, Mm. but there was just no way to see it come from other people Mm. or get to look up to someone who has that experience or maybe lives in a body that's similar to yours. Mm. And Instagram has made it that much easier. It's so easy to always focus on the bad parts of social media without thinking, well, there's so much like this is a platform for so many people to share their life and experience with people exactly like them who have never seen that before and I think that's what's so exciting about social media to be honest it's like really incredible because anyone can start a platform yeah absolutely and I think that's why it's so good isn't it it's allowing people to have those conversations that maybe they might feel uncomfortable having with people in their life currently but having those conversations with people that have had the confidence to talk about you know I do look fabulous and I am amazing it then gives other people that confidence as well to then have those conversations in their life which I think is really important but also, we've kind of touched on it um, earlier about like language, but how do you think we should tackle? I mean, <laughs> tackle is probably the wrong kind of word. It sounds like I'm going to rugby tackle you and knock you down and beat you up. But that's not what I mean. Sort of, 
I can't think of any word other than combat, which also sounds quite aggressive. I guess, what would the word be? Kind of not confront, that's again the wrong word, kind of challenge, I suppose, in a very polite way. The sort of feelings people have around fat bodies um, and that sort of fat phobia that is internalised that we've already spoken about. How do you start to do that in maybe communities that, you know, this is something that I think about is that I love the community that we're in and we're all very body accepting and all of that and it's great but the wider population maybe isn't like that. How do we reach those people? Because they're the ones that need to hear about it the most because maybe they're not aware that it is even a problem. I think... Something that's important is, I mean, people continuing to, you know, share their messages on social media, of course. But like you said, typically, if you're posting about body positivity, most of your followers are already into body positivity. Uh You're not reaching out to a whole different audience with that. But I think sharing with your family and friends what like fat phobic languages, Mm -hmm. even just eliminating it from your own vocabulary makes all the difference. If you work somewhere that works with the public, maybe sharing resources with your manager or something about how maybe a term that you're work is using is offensive you know things like that it's the small things that we think oh this doesn't really make a difference no one really cares that actually do make a huge difference Mm -hmm. another thing is just especially if you are a person who lives in a thin body advocating for people who do live in fat bodies and in all aspects like not shopping from clothing brands that don't go above a size extra large Mm -hmm. that's a huge thing like I don't believe that a clothing brand should exist without having plus sizes. Mm -hmm. And there's many, many excuses that people give for why. But as consumers, we can consciously choose to stay away from those places until they make the right decision. I've seen things like people who like waxers, things like that. They won't wax someone who's plus sized or it costs more if someone's plus. Yeah, it's absurd for them to get waxed. So I'm going to make the conscious decision. I'm obviously never going to go there. You're never going to have my business because why would I want to support something like that? Airlines who create the tiniest little seats or the smallest little washrooms you know, raising that issue. I know maybe that one's a little bit harder to consciously choose to not fly on a plane, but... <laughs> not the moment but, with COVID. With, right now, it's very great. It's a great conscious decision. But just advocating and, and, you know, you can write in, you can make complaints saying, hey, what about, like, why don't larger airline seats exist or why don't larger spaces exist? And just in places where you see a lot of, fat phobia saying something restaurants with chairs that have those like little Mm. I don't know handles on the side things like that why have those seats it's not inclusive whatsoever and it just contributes to like little tiny acts of fat phobia that we see in the world each and every day Mm. so it's a just a bunch of small things that you think don't mean anything but mean like the world And I'm probably going to sound really ignorant or naive here, but I saw on Facebook the other day, I'm part of a group and it said something about, um, I'm looking for a, you know, a health at every size acupuncturist for my client. And I was thinking, why on earth would you need that? But, you know, you've just said about the waxing in that they maybe said that they wouldn't do that to a larger body. And that's obviously why. And I think, you know, for me, 
I've never experienced something like that. And I think, why the hell would that be an issue? But, you know, clearly it is. And I think that is quite shocking. But that's why it's so important for people to have these conversations so that we are exposed to things that maybe we were not exposed to in our lives. And then we can help other people that are. Well, it's so much stuff that just, it doesn't make sense. Mm. And the reason it comes up is because fat phobia is probably one of the most widely accepted systems of oppression. So if someone says, well, I'm not going to do this service for fat people because it's too much work for me, or it's, you know, all these different things, or it's going to cost more money if you're fat, sorry. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not something that ever occurs to someone living in a smaller body. Because yeah, when would you ever hear about this? When you do hear about this, someone might provide a long justification. So you're like, oh, okay, I guess that kind of makes sense without really ever seeing the impact that this has on people. But yeah, it's it's so unfortunate because being when you exist in a fat body, you constantly have to search for alternatives, alternative methods for essentially everything because the fat phobia in every industry is just so rampant. And whilst we're on the topic of fat phobia, um Something I wondered if you could possibly explain to our listeners is health at every size. I think often that can be misconstrued for what it's about. Because of fat phobia and fat shaming, people can set this negative language towards it. So would you just explain what it's actually about rather than maybe what people kind of assume it's about? Yeah, essentially it's a movement really advocating for... First of all, the thing that we kind of touched on before, you can't determine someone's health or their level of fitness based off of their body size, but also just inclusivity in fitness, health, wellness industries at the doctor's office, things like that, where I can be healthy and be plus size, I or I do deserve health treatments. I don't know, healthy is kind of, we can't necessarily say we're healthy because there's lots of you know, ailments that we all have that are invisible and all these things, but I got so off track there. Sorry. (laughs) Essentially, it's, it's just that like advocating for the idea that at regardless of my size, regardless of what I look like, I still deserve health care. I still deserve like fitness care, all these things. And and that shouldn't be a factor really. It's essentially, yeah, exactly what it sounds like health at every size, regardless of my size. I can yeah and I think that's massively the stigma isn't it in that people seem to think oh well you know it's your fault that you're in a larger body so you have kind of given yourself this health condition but there's just no way of showing that that's true and I think it it genuinely saddens me and upsets me that people would even have that sort of thought process because you would never say to somebody in a thin body oh well you know you're thin so that's why you've got that health condition it's making so many assumptions that really aren't fair exactly and I think it's it's when people try to like simplify something just way too much and Mm -hmm. if you look at someone oh well you have this health condition because you're fat no because there are people who exist in smaller bodies with the same health condition and you would never say that to them so why are they more deserving of respect because they're thinner like there's no it's nothing but prejudice and bias in your own mind that makes Mm -hmm. you think that way 
And I want to ask you this question. I think it can be quite a controversial conversation, but it is something that I want to ask from your perspective. I think sometimes people can think that the health at every size movement is glorifying obesity. And that's not what I think in the slightest, but I kind of want to ask for listeners if that's something that they're questioning. What's your opinion on that? I always see like on TikTok or Instagram, especially TikTok though, when someone posts like, you know, a video of them working out and they exist in a fat body or something they're like why are you glorifying obesity why are you glorifying fatness i'm not my existence like or their existence is not glorifying anything people are allowed to exist and be happy in their body and not trying to change their body without you automatically assuming that they're trying to force some agenda on you if someone posts something and they have a fat body they're not trying to make you fat you don't have like you know like there's there's nothing there There's no correlation, but people, for some reason, like I said before, it's just such a widely accepted system of oppression that people really think it's okay to say, well, stop forcing your fatness on me or whatever agenda. I'm not consuming content from someone who's thin and saying, why are you glorifying this? Why are you forcing this on me? I don't want to look like that because that would be absolutely ridiculous. So why is it fine the other way around almost? Thank you so much for summing that up so amazingly. I think a lot of the things we've spoken about today, I don't necessarily have experience of. And some of the questions I was a bit apprehensive to ask, um, I think because they can be sometimes controversial but I think you answered them so nicely and in the way that you know we were talking about earlier kind of having these conversations they don't have to be confrontational they can be people genuinely inquiring and I think that was a really nice conversation to you know open people's eyes up to different things um as the last question I've been asking people all the guests that come on the podcast, um, their top tip or best advice for leaving their eating disorder. And in this sense as well, I think we should say diet culture behind, um, kind of to give people that motivation. So what would be, what would be your advice for somebody that's listening? I think it's instead of like, let go of what you think other people are going to think of you. I think a huge problem is that we're all just, we fear being judged by people in general, no matter what the choices we make are. So if you're worried about letting something go, because who knows, it could mean weight gain, it could mean discomfort, it could mean all of these different things. Honestly, forget what other people are going to say about it, which is easier said than done, of (laughs) course. But sometimes there's moments in your life where you have to be selfish and I kind of roll my eyes at the word selfish because I don't think it's it's selfish to take care of yourself but it's kind of just the word that we generally use in society if there's any time to look out for yourself above others it's now and if you recognize something isn't serving you it's time to let it go regardless of what other people might think you can always find the strength within yourself it might seem impossible but you certainly certainly have it in you you've gotten through so much and you've come so far that it's just another part of the journey is letting it go yeah thank you so much for summing that up so nicely I think one thing people can be really worried about is diet culture is 
much the norm and it's also quite like cultish um I think people can be worried about breaking free from that but yeah letting go of what people think is really important and if people want to find out more about you um and the work that you're doing where can they find you um it's at holy jenna but jenna is spelt with a g not a j um so holy and then g-e-n-n-a uh and then my website would be holyjenna.com as well fantastic and thank you so much for joining us today jenna it's been lovely to chat with you Thank you so much. I really appreciated this. I had a great time. I really enjoyed that conversation with Jenna. I think sometimes we can be very blind to things when we haven't experienced them ourselves. But by having these open and honest conversations and being able to ask questions, it lets us see things from other people's perspective and maybe reflect on how our actions can affect other people and how we can work together as allies to improve the lives of others, even if we haven't necessarily experienced what somebody else is going through. Next week, we will be joined by Rini McGregor, who has 20 years clinical experience of working as a dietitian. And with Rini, we will be discussing Red S and orthorexia, which are two eating disorders that are maybe more modern, but are a lot more common than we'd expect. Most people that come to work with me have conditional acceptance of self. But the problem is that just sets you up to fail right because when you've achieved like if you go in pursuit of a body image and then think okay when I get there I'm going to be I'm going to feel happier but then you get there and you don't feel happier then you think oh maybe I need to go a bit further and then you go a bit further because the answer is it's not trying to you're not going to get happiness from an image you get happiness from being content and comfortable within yourself and accepting yourself fully even the bits of you that maybe aren't particularly comfortable or or even particularly endearing if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so please be sure to subscribe please also like comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may be struggling at the moment not only those with eating disorders but also their loved ones as this can be a difficult time for everyone eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire others to embark their recovery journey for further support please visit the beat or the first steps website or speak to your local gp see you next week bye